Amen. Thank you, Natalie. Let's uh, start with a couple of questions this morning. First question is this. What would you say or who would you say is the loudest voice in your life? Like the... the <laughs> it is obvious for Lisa, Mikey is the loudest voice in her life. In fact, he might be in mine as well. Um, <laughs> the most predominant voice, again, that might be Mikey for Lisa, the, the one that is most influential. We, we do have a lot of voices in our lives, right? Some of those voices are voices of the past. People have, have moved on, like a parent or a coach or a teacher, someone like that, and yet, even though they've passed, their voice is still predominant in our lives, there's also some contemporary voices that are significant. I've been reading, part of going back to school has been delightful for me that I've been able to read some of these ancient uh, voices like St. Ignatius trying to figure out how to live the life of Christian, uh, Christianity in his time period. Some of the voices that are predominant for me, like Dallas Willard or, or Henry Nouwen, some of these they've passed on and yet through books. The, their voices are predominant. How about contemporary voices? I was talking with a friend who's, who's not a Christian, and he watches um, a lot of podcasts. I'm not that much into podcasts. I'm too busy reading to, to listen to many of them. But uh, he was saying, what's the one that you listen to most? And he mentioned uh, um, Joe Rogan, who is, he's probably the... Um, uh, the biggest podcast in our country right now. In fact, I, I'm pretty sure, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the history of podcasts, he's got the most followers. So his voice is really significant. Uh, some Christians really talk about Preston Sprinkle. He was the one who uh, wrote the um, Christianity, Sex, and Sexuality that we did last year, Parents and our high schoolers uh, did that. And so he's a, he's a pretty predominant voice podcasting. What are the podcasts that you're listening to? What are the voices that are coming in? How about just social media? I was thinking of Facebook and Twitter as two, maybe you could call them collective voices, right? How many minutes or for some of us hours, right? There, they're geared to keep us on our phone. Isn't that kind of creepy? Like the, the, the algorithms they're using so that, and, and the collective voice. Some of you are not on either of those. Some of you are on just one. Some of you are on both. Or other social media platforms that are informing our lives. How about political voices? Some of you might have watched the, the State of the Union from our president, and also the Republican response by Sarah Huckabee Sanders. What are the political voices that are in your lives predominantly? I was thinking of, uh, it's Black History Month, and I was thinking of some of the uh, African-American voices that have been significant for me. 
Uh, some of you would recognize, of course, Martin Luther King Jr., very predominant, maybe not as well-known, even though he was considered a key mentor to Martin Luther King Jr. was Howard Thurman. Reading one of his uh, prayers and poems, just read a section of it. He said, I let go of the past, I withdraw my grasping hand from the future, and in the great silence of this moment, can you imagine a civil rights moment, I alertly rest my soul as the seagull lays in the wind current, so I lay myself into the spirit of God. I read that last year. I was like, that's going to stick with me. As, as the seagull lays in the wind current, so I lay myself into the spirit of God. And then just one more comparison, kind of a good versus evil comparison. <laughs> which is which? I don't know. I'll let you decide, right? But really, this is such an important question because these voices, they, they shape, whether it's books or, or podcasts or, or, or news channels or, or whatever it is, these voices are shaping the way that we think. And all of the voices that we looked at and that are in our lives, there's good and bad, right? I mean, except for one of those pictures up there. But all of those voices are good and bad. Here's the real question. How do you weigh them? How do you determine what is absolute truth? How do you determine what's half truth or, or actually wrong or, or, or twisting something? What, what is that? How, how do you lift and, and analyze? And then what do you believe and take to heart and live and remember and allow to shape your decisions? and who you are, and what you do. It's a really important set of questions. That would be my second question of how do you, what's the criteria you use for determining right and wrong, the good, the predominant, the weighty, or the shallow. Now the Apostle John, our Holy Spirit-inspired author of the Gospel of John, I believe that he will weigh into some of these contemporary questions. That, that what he's going to share with us in John chapter 3, if you've brought your Bibles, would you turn to chapter 3, that, that some of his writings are going to influence these very contemporary questions uh, for us. In fact, we, we, part of John is seeing some of these people up close. We saw at the beginning of chapter 3, Nicodemus. And, and I want you to be mindful. We're going to read the second half of John chapter 3. And we'll be mindful of the, the foundation or beginnings that the Apostle John, the inspired author, is writing Remember some of these ways in which he's speaking. He laid a foundation of, uh, through Nicodemus of being born again, of what salvation is. He laid a foundation of the kingdom of God. He references the kingdom of God, but remember he moves into eternal life. So he talked about entrance of the kingdom, 
And then seeing the kingdom, living the kingdom, or living eternal life. He also talked about testimony. He repeats the word testimony several times. I think 16 times in the Gospel of John, he repeats the word testimony. Testimony is really important to John. You could say the voice, the voices that we listen to, the testimonies that we listen to, is really important to John. And we're going to read probably the the most uh, significant teaching of John the Baptist in this latter part of chapter 3. John the Baptist, is um, his primary role was to give testimony about who Jesus is and the significance in our lives. In fact, uh, Jesus would say this about John the Baptist. John was a lamp that burned and gave light. And you chose for a time to enjoy his light. Can we enjoy his light a little bit this morning? Can we hear him speak and see what he has to say for us? Starting in John chapter 3, Verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside after his time with Nicodemus and spent some time with them and baptized. So Jesus brings them out to the countryside. He's discipling his uh, would-be, who they would become his apostles. And then people are coming to him to be baptized. Now John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because there was plenty of water and people were coming and being baptized. This was before John was put in prison. Now, uh, it's clarified that actually Jesus wasn't baptizing with water. He was having his disciples baptized with water in the next chapter. Verse 25, an argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew, or plural Jews, probably makes more sense, over the matter of ceremonial washing, which is related to baptism, which is related to purity, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man, talking about Jesus, who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. Some think that these Jews were trying to stir a little bit of controversy and jealousy within John the Baptist, right? That there's some competition of how many are going to John the Baptist, how many are going to Jesus and his disciples, back and forth, and kind of like, it could have been a question of saying, John, how do you handle this? Like, Jesus' ministry is kind of overshadowing. And if you remember, some of his disciples started with John. So they kind of abandoned John and went to Jesus. So there's a real potential of jealousy of John the Baptist and the ministry of Jesus. Let's read John's response. To this John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. Some wisdom there. You yourselves can testify 
that I said I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom, a little mini parable that John the Baptist shares. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy. Is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine, John says. And it is now complete. He must become greater and I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. We don't really know if this is John the Baptist continuing speaking or, or the uh, author, inspired author John writing, but either way, hear it as a testimony from John's life. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. Whoever has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Hallelujah. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in his hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Repetition of the earlier part of the chapter. But whoever rejects the Son will not see the kingdom of God, will not see life, true life, for God's wrath remains on them, or as he said earlier, stands condemned. Okay, what what John is doing is he's doing his best to shine this beautiful and burning light on the person of Jesus Christ and trying to influence and affect how we see and understand Jesus and his voice, his testimony, his teaching in our lives. And really you could say He's pointing to the uniqueness of the voice of Christ compared to all the other voices in our lives and in the world, from the beginning of the world. Jesus' voice is the only one that is from eternity. The only one That's from heaven. Let's read again. Look with me at verses 31 and 32. He's talking about Jesus. And hear these verses in in the context of the, the unique voice of Christ. The one who comes from above is above all. The one who is from the earth belongs to the earth. He's talking about himself, John the Baptist, from the earth. And speaks as from the earth or all other voices. The one who comes from heaven, Jesus, is above all. He, Jesus, testifies to what he has seen and heard. 
but no one accepts his testimony, talking about the rejection. If you remember in the beginning of the chapter, verse 13, if you want to look just real quickly back there, no one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. What John the Baptist is doing is he's pointing out He's saying, do do you recognize, do you realize that Jesus' voice is like no other? All of these voices, we can, our voices, we can wrestle with some of the big questions like, is there a God and, and is there heaven and what happens after you die? All these other voices, right? It's like guesswork, except for one. Jesus doesn't have to wonder about eternity. He's from eternity. I've got a couple analogies for you this morning. One of them is from philosophy. And there's a famous uh, analogy of an elephant and there's these blind men. Some of you have heard this analogy, right? And, And the blind men are feeling and one is feeling the trunk and he's trying to describe uh, what he's feeling is like, yeah, it's wide and it moves. And, and then there's another one who's blindfolded, and is, but he's feeling the tail. And he's like, no, this animal is like, it's like a tail and it's, it's bushy at the end. And, so, and they're all sharing these voices on their perspective of what reality is. And from a Christian perspective, we say, yes, that's right, except there's one man who doesn't have a blindfold on. And that's Jesus. Jesus doesn't have to wonder what heaven is like. He's from heaven. He doesn't have to wonder what God is like. He has a very distinct advantage. He's also God himself, right? He knows that and he sees that, that his voice, from a Christian perspective, is a unique voice compared to all others, whether it's a a Joe Rogan or Preston Sprinkle or myself or Jedediah, whoever that is, that Jesus' voice is that unique voice. There's a number of years ago when there was a predominant pastor and he was Rob Bell. He was leading one of the largest or fastest growing churches in the nation. He was in uh, Michigan while I was serving in Michigan. And, and he was coming out with some controversial books, and I actually liked a lot of what he was writing. And especially his take on heaven, I thought was excellent and reflected a lot of kingdom theology. Well, he did write one book that kind of began to compromise, and the issue was hell. And he started to question whether there really was a hell or not. And then um, I saw him kind of created a controversy across the church. And I saw him on an interview, and he was kind of defending himself. And he said, hey, let's be honest. No one really knows what they're talking about when we talk about eternity and afterlife and heaven and hell, right? It's all just guesswork. And I said, Did you forget that, yes, that's true, except one voice. 
In fact, when that book came out, I just happened to be studying what Jesus taught on hell. And Jesus talks a lot about hell. And it was really difficult for me to take what Jesus was teaching on hell and come to the conclusion that there's probably no hell. You see, what I realized is that in any subject that I'm looking at, to say, what is the unique voice, whether it's heaven and hell, whether it's a, a, a political issue or a, a cultural issue, what's the voice of Jesus saying? How do I hold whatever, well, whoever's voice is in my life, do I weigh it against the one eternal life? I think for some of us, Natalie mentioned Lent. You know what Lent is in some ways? Is that if you imagine a dial of volumes of voices in front of you, sometimes Lent is you turn the volume down on every other voice. You fast from social media. You maybe fast from a podcast or something like that. And you increase whose voice? Christ Jesus, through the reading of scripture, through prayer, through whatever that we worship, you, you turn up the dial. John the Baptist is saying his voice should be the predominant voice, even over Mikey's voice, Lisa. What? Turn that baby down. <laughs> and increase the voice of Jesus, all right? Amen. Now, <laughs> amen indeed. Let's go to, look at verse 27. It's this, some wisdom that comes from John the Baptist when he's asked about jealousy. I, I think this is a really profound verse. He says, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. I was reflecting on that verse. You know the, the word, another important word or form, given, it's used or a form of that word given is used 76 times in the Gospel of John. To give or given. And I would say the kingdom life, eternal life, is not just a life that, that, that recognizes Jesus' voice as above all others, but also lives a life not of taking. Sometimes that's really elevated in our culture, that we, we live a life of, you have to go out and take life, right? You have to create, you have to go after your, your dreams and you just, you take it, you get, you, you get aggressive, you're that type A personality that goes, you know what you want and you go after it. I would say the, the gospel representation is different. It's receiving a life that is given. It's not that we are passive and we don't bring a great energy and desire and passion. In fact, I believe that part of our dreams and our hopes are given from heaven. We, we pay attention to that. That some of the opportunities related to our, our career or whether, whatever that is, is given. That, that we receive from him. 
a beautiful and abundant life. We trust him that this one who knit us together in our mother's womb, he has great plans and purposes for us. There's another beautiful verse in verse 30. Again, look with me again. There, he must become greater and I must become less. I think I heard some poor teaching on that way back when in in college. I remember one in particular saying, yeah, he must become greater. God has to become everything and we are worms. We're nothing and our lives don't matter. And I was like, really? Is that what that verse says? That God doesn't care about us? He wants us to diminish our lives? I don't think so. There's a testimony of scripture that we talked about at communion that we are his treasured possessions. That he loves us and when he knit us together he had plans and purposes for us. Some of you, this is your your favorite scripture is from uh, Jeremiah. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. He's saying, yes, I want to teach you abundant life, John 10.10. I want to give you, I've got these incredible and beautiful plans for you if you would just come and receive from me these beautiful things. It's a beautiful and abundant life. Another analogy that I like is the idea that God is weaving this incredible tapestry Can you imagine this tapestry above us? And our lives, there's a uniqueness. There's there's maybe a color and a length. Our lives have particular passions and and desires and, and gifts and affections that he does. And he wants to shape that. And if we allow that, if we say, God, yes, I want your life for me. Not the one that I would go after and grasp and try and force. But I want to receive your life given. That he takes it and he weaves it in this incredible and beautiful tapestry of the kingdom in our lives. And someday we'll get, I think that's what good funerals are about. Is for better or for worse, I do a lot of funerals, right? And there's some lives that I just hear that have been woven in such this beautiful way that people go, oh, man, boy, this act of kindness I'll never forget. And the the virtue of of, of kindness or love or joy in this person blessed me. And you can just see that person in this beautiful tapestry of the kingdom. It's this life well lived. It's the plans that God has for us. It's a life that's dynamically received from heaven. 
The little parable was very interesting to me as well. Look at verse 29. Let's just read that again. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. Who's the bridegroom in John the Baptist's mini parable? Yep, it's Jesus. The friend, who's the friend in his mini parable? He is plus, I think you can relate it to us, that we get to be the friend who attends the bridegroom, waits and listens for him, and is full of joy. When he hears the bridegroom's voice, that joy is mine, says John the Baptist. And also, remember, he's shining the light on Jesus and its significance for us. That joy can be ours. And for John, he said, it is now complete. It is now complete. This joy, I think this is an incredibly optimistic parable for the hellfire, John the Baptist. He was the first Baptist, after all. Got that? There you go. Thank you, Susie. Yes. Right? He's, in some ways, what John the Baptist is doing is he's describing this life that God has for us. And there's an element of celebration and joy that's present. That's pretty significant, right? In the first couple of chapters of John the Baptist, we've got the first miracle of Jesus, which was what? Wine, it's water into wine. It was in the context of a wedding, a banquet, I think saying something about the life, the kingdom life or eternal life that he's inviting us to. Now he gives this mini parable and he talks about his own joy that comes from walking with the Lord, from being a friend of the groom, a friend of Christ. You know this idea, of course, of course joy is all through the scriptures, but there's also a sense of a completion of joy, a, a dynamic of joy through the pages of scripture, including, again, Deuteronomy 16. When God was talking about the festivals, there was three great festivals that People would come into uh, uh, Jerusalem and celebrate. And he said this, Be joyful at your festival. You, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, and the Levites, the priests. And listen to who else he cares about, the joy. The foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns. The heart of God is mindful of the least of these. But he's also saying, I want to offer this joy that's beyond circumstance, beyond hardship of life. For seven days, celebrate. He's not saying just a day or just a, a nice party. Seven days, celebrate the festival to the Lord your God and the place the Lord will choose for the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work of your hands and your joy will be complete. Thank you, Mikey. Good time to jump in. 
Yes, there's this completion as we walk with the Lord, as we worship the Lord, as we celebrate, as we serve the Lord with our work of our hands, as we love our neighbors, especially the the least of these, as we receive the blessing of God, there is this completion of joy. I asked uh, Jedediah for permission if I could just share this story let his light shine just a, a little bit, even though he's not preaching this morning. We were just in the office and we were talking and he was giving testimony again. He was remembering about when he gave his life to Christ. It was early, leaving high school before college, and he wasn't a joyful person. And one of the significant differences when he gave his life to Christ is he entered into a life that was joyous. He began to experience the joy of life. But then he said that it's not done, that that I'm still, that's part of my Christian walk, is pursuing that, that joy that is beyond circumstance, that's different than the world would understand joy. And I was blessed by that. I went home and talked to Kendra about it. I said, hey, Jedediah said this. And I think there's something there for us that we would pursue joy. That that would be a quality of our lives that we enjoy. That, we, that people recognize us as a people of joy people that are living lives not, not grasping and taking, but a people that are enjoying God, enjoying our maker, enjoying the life he wants for us, and enjoying him. All right. I wanted to end this message on a nerdy note. See, I knew it. Some of you, you complain about my nerdiness, but you secretly love it, okay? All right, so we're going to end on a nerdy note because I'm going to teach you kind of a theological phrase, and that is realized eschatology. Say that with me. Realized eschatology. That was excellent. All right, one more time. Realized eschatology. All right, what is that? (laughs) All right, let's start with eschatology. What's eschatology? The study, okay, of... Anyone know? End times or last things. The study of last things, all right? When we went through the book of Revelation last year, we were really studying end times and the, uh, looking at the last things. And then the realized comes in at the very last verse, and this isn't the only place it's throughout, but, but the gospel of John is kind of known for really recognizing this idea In verse 36, the last verse of our chapter, whoever believes in the Son will someday eventually have eternal life. That's not what it says. What does it say? 
has eternal life. Remember, we talked about this last week. He's still building this foundation. When, when the Apostle Paul talks about you are a new creation, it has begun now. Life in Christ is, isn't something that we're waiting for. All right, let me try and explain it also through this Hebrews passage, which I, I love this Hebrews passage. Unfortunately, it's about people who have turned away from the faith. All right, that's the context. But despite that context, listen to what he says. It's going to help us understand realized eschatology a little bit more. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, which is probably salvation, who have shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted in the goodness of the word of God. I hope that you've shared in the Holy Spirit and tasted the the goodness of the word of God this morning and are still doing it. And also tasted the powers of the coming age. The powers of of the coming age. What he's talking about is he's talking about the day when the kingdom is consummated. When God lives fully and completely in the here and now. That's the age that we are before. We're in an age, we talked about this last week, of an already but not yet, but there's a day when the kingdom will be fully consummated. But... He's talking about in the here and now of we as Christians today get to share in the Holy Spirit, get to taste the goodness of the word of God, and we get to experience the powers of the coming age. Does that make sense? You with me? All right, I think I'm going to have to give the mother of all illustrations, okay. to make sure you get it. I'm ready. If you would think of Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> For just a moment, all right? Think of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Remember, in the first movie, right, he's got some skills, right? He's using the force in that way, but spoiler alert, it is a 40-year-old movie, but he dies at the end. And then he becomes glowing Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) Right? He's one with the force. And yet, in fact, he even says to Darth Vader, I'll become more powerful than you can imagine. Right? But he was glowing, but he was using that power, the powers of his coming reality, when he was alive as a Jedi. Does that make sense? In one illustration, my entire life just came together. <laughs> I, it, it's amazing. And yeah. I don't know if I ever have to preach again now after this. <laughs> so, for example, when we pray for one another in our, in our KLCs, in our in Days of the Kingdom, as we're learning to minister the kingdom, in our extended time together when we're praying for one another, prayer is those powers of the coming age. When we see someone healed, we're experiencing the powers of the coming 
age. When we see a, a miracle or a, 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 some beautiful work of God that is unexplainable in the natural context, we're realizing, we're experiencing the kingdom in the here and now. Friends, we can't be a congregation that's simply waiting for the kingdom and trying to live our lives nice and clean and keep our nose clean until the kingdom is consummated, the second coming of Christ. No, what John the Baptist is communicating, what the, the author John is saying, don't you get it, that Jesus has initiated this different kind of life. And it's not here in full. We're still going to wrestle with, with sin and, and, and earthquakes like in, in Syria and Turkey, right? We're still going to wrestle with that. But as the body of people, as his treasured possessions, we get to walk. In the, in the powers of the coming age. That's what he wants to do in our lives today. That's the life, that's eternal life, that's kingdom life that John, both Johns, are communicating to us. Will we see the light? Will we let the lamp of John the Baptist burn? Will we let the voice of the scriptures and the voice of Christ be more predominant than all other voices and live the life given from heaven? Would you pray with me? Would you just take a few moments just as we've been sharing in the goodness of the word of God. What's he saying to you? Specifically, I, I can't tell you that specifically. Is he saying that the one true eternal voice, the one voice who said, I am the way the truth, and the life. Do you need to turn up the voice of Jesus in your life? Maybe you need to turn down some other voices. Maybe you've been going after, a, you're trying to take life and force life and push your life. And you're missing that there's this abundant life, this beautiful life that he wants to give you. He knows the details of your life. He wants to speak to you about career, about calling, about gifts, all these things. Will you let his voice speak to you about these things? Would you start living the life he's dreamed of you having? Maybe some of you were struck by Jedediah's words about joy. 
and you want to live the joy of Christ more. Or maybe it's power that you hear him inviting you to live kingdom life today, right now, in this season of life.